the way the Buddha taught um, calm and concentration and, and refined mental states, the particular angle he had on them is quite important to understand, get a sense of. Because um, all of this stuff is really very much patterns, you know, energy patterns that are innate and if you like from the gross to the subtle to the very subtle formless they're just kind of they're built in and uh, most people don't experience the formless a lot of people don't experience the subtle very much but it's there you know and the and the theme is really that you can you can release or deconstruct or the the gross you know, you're, you're abiding the gross, you come into the subtle and then you can release and relax and deconstruct the subtle and you come into the, the formless. And you, that's, you can do that. <coughs> and so that and that's, takes some skill and it, it's an uh, uh, experience of, of, can be accompanied by a lot of skillfulness, strength and, and uh, deep feelings of ease and enjoyment. Mm. Yeah, and but then where, where it gets mis, misunderstood is the sense of well that's that's a kind of linear process and then right at the end of that there's nibbana you know kind of down there the bottom line as it were but that isn't the way the Buddha taught it it's not like nibbana is even more refined than the formless states it's not it's of a different nature mm. so. This is why actually you don't need the formless states for nibbana. It's not like a ladder, and you go, or or a rope if you like. But if you're thinking going up or down, you get to the end of it, and then bingo, there's nibbana, as it were. It doesn't. It's not of that nature. So you don't really need to get to the end of the ladder. In that sense, but you do need to do some 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 sense of operating to be able to. Because the process of coming out of the gross and uh, means your mind becomes relationally more, more skillful. You have to let go or understand the grasping, um, the clinging, the, the passions, the desires, the fantasies, the grudges, the memories and so forth, the doubts, the way that which one's relationship with life in general is, is impaired with this grasping quality. And then, you know, we, we kind of, as we s- sit, we come into some of the bruises of the accidents of our, of our life, the ongoing, you know, ups and downs and bits we've grasped and haven't quite come up with or want or still feel we should have. So, you know, you're starting to relate to, to all, all that as these patterns and processes of karma. And you realize you, you can't actually keep operating on that level externally and you can't operate on that in, level internally rather, in other words you can't you don't want to start grasping and struggling and fighting with your internal dimensions however wacky they are or, or craving and grasping for refined states is very much the same sort of process yeah? so you begin to acknowledge it's this problem of, of grasping and I de- which is bound up with identification you know, I want this, I can have this if I get this I will be something other than I am right now which would be better 
and, and so on. And it's that kind of process which bears, it's true to a certain degree, otherwise you wouldn't do it at all. You know, no, nobody clings and grasps because it doesn't give any results. It does give a result, but the result tends to be impermanent and changing and having kinds of negative side effects. One gets defensive, one gets structured. So over a lifetime we build up a whole lot of scaffolding to support our little addictions and comforts and, and needs and so forth. It's kind of clunky keeping all this stuff going. You know, one's habits, one's patterns, one particular sense objects, one's property, one's this, that and the other. It's all kind of tending to fall apart and need support. So you end up, you know, putting a lot of energy into the scaffolding of your life. And, and, it, it, and then the thing kind of gets very really heavy and burdensome. So, you know, but at the same time, you know, we want to feel good. <laughs> so, and so it's this kind of learning, and the gradual learning, that you can actually feel good with less scaffolding. If you, if you do it carefully, you start to take it down carefully. Because the quality of care and attention that you give in that process itself becomes enriching and enjoyable and, and stabilizing. You feel more self-respect, confidence, freedom in yourself. So that substitutes for the, you know, the holidays in Mallorca or wherever it is that, you know, or the Karawake. <laughs> no, I think those are really big things for us, but just to make it light. <laughs> you know, so that's, that's the bit. So we begin to get that, that sense. Uh, and then as the mind gets more refined then the, 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 the problem is that of course then tend to cling to that more refined stuff subtler stuff, more, more of that and the Buddha said yeah, right, and if you want to cling this is the best thing to cling to this is the slow burn, this is the most pure fire you can get but it is still a fire you know, you end up like a moth in that trying to get closer and closer and you know and it doesn't it doesn't actually you know arrive anywhere conclusive you can go down that ladder and back up again down to the formulas and so forth of course most of us don't so we don't can't really know that it takes a lot of skill but you can know you can go from the subtle to the gross and that's really helpful you know to sense you can be someone other than your normal patterns and and structures, you can put aside some of the, the normal habits that we have and actually feel completely okay and really actually a lot better. So that's really recognizing that that sense of what one assumes oneself to be, the pattern structuring, is actually mutable. That isn't the point. The point isn't the patterning. Mm-hmm. You know, you can actually change it around and still feel okay. The point is really ultimately the clarity and the agility of the of the of the mind that's able to you know operate without attachment and we you know so nibbana really is the kind of ultimate of that the ultimate um, or the result or the fruition of these ult- ultimate um, skills called the factors of awakening you know, mindfulness and investigation, energy, um, 
rapture, tranquility, concentration, equanimity. So these are, if you like, this one way of describing the skills. Mm. But still, those skills are not nibbana either. They they are, they fruit in that. They get the result of that. Nibbana is just really not clinging. Mm. It's not really a state. So that's why it's important to recognize it's not some kind of even more refined state on that, on that level, which is what, unfortunately, it can be equated with in, in, you know, in some sort of, um, interpretations. Nibbana is just another kind of quiet state or a state where you've switched off the other things. Mm. So it's some, some Niroda state. Mm. And there's this kind of famous saying, you know, Nibbana and Sangsara are the same. It comes from Nagarjuna. Nibbana and Sangsara are the same. There's no difference between them. So Nibbana and Sangsara are the same. Nibbana is a kind of very subtle energy form. Sangsara is an energy form. They're both energy forms. Therefore, play, you know. Being that it's all just a game, it's all just a show. You could go down to Nibbana, back into Singsara, it's just that, it's all nobody's really here. It's just all a game and a show and a play, just just groove along, you know, nobody gets in that. Yeah, which is actually um, for a start, it, it's easy enough to say that when you're not you know, some bits of Sangsara definitely extremely you know, you're being in Darfur someone's starving with a guerrilla, guerrilla war going on, you don't think that Sangsara is really just a game and a play. <laughs> or your babies are dying of AIDS, you know, you don't think Sangsara is just a show and roll on with it. You think this is wretched, you know. And, uh, and then also that it's not even a correct uh, interpretation. Because when Nagarjuna said that, he said that Nibbana and Sangsara have no difference in that they're both void of any substance. There's no no substantial entity in, in, in Nibbana or Sangsara, so in that respect they're the same. It's just like you can say, you know, um, apples and tractors, neither of them have wings, but that doesn't mean that they're <laughs> the same, just in this respect. They're, not, they're insubstantial. Nibbana and Sangsara is insubstantial because it's just shifting patterns and moving and changing. Nibbana is insubstantial because it's not a pattern. It's not another pattern. It's the it's the out of the pattern. It's not a subtle pattern of energy or a subtle pattern of consciousness. It's, it's out. It's really like a a verb of blowing out. Mm. It's not a state. So you know, what we then, how does that blowing out occur? And that's the process um, of insight. Right begins with viveka, this stepping back, detachment, if you like. Dispassion is the second viraga. Niroda, stopping, means actually some of the patterns just, as you become more dispassionate towards some aspects of the patterns of craving or resistance you just they stop 
actually don't have that hunger anymore. You don't have that fear anymore. You don't have that little habit anymore. It stops. And then relinquishment is the relinquishment essentially of the view, you know, which is more than just an idea. It's an actual whole angling that we operate through of self. You know, that is, there is somebody to be released, or somebody will get something, or somebody will be freed from something. So that's the kind of shadow view that hovers behind all of the sense of attainment and success and achievement and failure and, and so forth. And you see that, that that view actually attracts energy. Doesn't it? You know, if you hold onto something as self, a whole kind of energy starts to attract, gather around that particular object, whether it's your socks or whatever it is. That's mine. You know, suddenly those things have got a little bit of a glow to them. Those have got a some potency. Things start happening to those those things that are mine. Then all kinds of other things start happening. Mm. Or very obviously, you see this with gross objects. So, you know, an energy gets attracted around that. So then on the, we might say, the internal level, then that energy is very significant because when you begin to, you know, transform or transmute or or more clearly see that a lot of one takes as oneself is really just energies flowing and changing. You know, physical, psychological, emotional stuff wanging around. Some of it's calm, some of it's rocky, some of it's faltering, some of it's thrusting. Some of it's, you know, something wants to think and understand and get it clear. Something wants to get happy, you know, something wants to this, that and the other. All sorts of levels of it, isn't it? You see, it's all in dynamic now you throw at a dynamic of a view which attracts energy into that mix. You know, I am this, I want to be this, I'm not this, I am always like that, I'm never this. That adds a whole, that view attracts a whole lot of intense energy around it, doesn't it? As we all, you know, experience it. And some things are, are crying out as me and mine. And that intensifies their effect, intensifies the kind of uh, reactions and responses. One's relation to that becomes extremely biased, skewed, you know, intense. So, you know, so it's the, really the relinquishment of that view means that a particular energy gets switched off. And that actually is the energy that, that, that underlies the whole of the samsara the wandering on the shifting up and down through this and that so nibbana is the switching off of that of the of that those currents this kind of may seem like a bit esoteric or a long way off but it's just to get also a sense of 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 how of the value the usefulness and the, and the 
uh, and the limitations of, of tranquility. You know, the usefulness of it is you do learn, you do get skillful, um, you do begin to deconstruct temporarily aspects of one's mindscape, one's horizons, one's landscape. And you suddenly, and you see, oh. so, and then you begin to see how actually you feel really okay with that. Hmm. So all that stuff really wasn't the point. Mm-hmm. And you feel a bit more peaceful, perhaps a bit more, um, you know, easeful, happy. And also, there's what's there's been a, there's been some agility, some strength, some skills have developed in terms of our relationship. To, to what we experience, and that's really the most important point: is the skills. You should realize that you know Buddha Dharma is really just the whole presentation of skills with a particular aim in mind. You know, which is this this um, nibbana and the skills for that. Skills are not nibbana, but they, if you use them rightly, then you do you do nibbana. You do it, <laughs> and uh, I think that the point is that also that you can't help but do it. If you do it right, you can't help do it. So you don't have to even really figure out the what, where nibbana is or what it is. Because if you do it, you do nibbana. You know, you you, you blow out. Mm. And I think that's also important to get a sense of. of Really, if you have faith in the process of what brings around the, f- the first bits of detachment, if you have really faith in that process of what gives you that first bit of detachment and dispassion, what, what really supports that, you, have, you really know that and see that, then if you just keep that going, you know, <laughs> then it, it has this, it's like a, like a computer virus, you know, it just gets into the, the software and starts to deconstruct it you, once you've got it in there you keep it going and admit it of course you know but then the necessary for tranquility is is that some bits are, you have to actually open them up to get to get in there and when the mind is tight and contracted and busy some bits never really come to the surface so you don't get deconstructed because you haven't actually accessed them so one of the things that tranquility does is it does kind of open the fibers of being and the bits that our scaffolding, you know, and our screening and our personality structures were kind of covering over or, you know, sorting out or defending us from realizing actually start to come to light. And those are important. They're painful, sometimes just awkward, sometimes confusing, disorienting. And yet, you know, we recognize these are also bits of the, of the thing that we need to know about somehow. We need to ease, we need to be able to handle and first of all to you know, so you get these kind of wobbly states or funny states or angry states or hindrance states then first of all to acknowledge to not react, to not follow it whatever it's saying and doing to to work on reactivity so we begin to, you know, the point isn't is to just then what is the what is really needed in terms of you know being relating to that you feel that so this is manasikara wise attention 
just kind of handle that, feel it in the body, breathe in, breathe out. That's a simple piece of method. Mm-hmm. You know, there's other bits that we can do, like whole spirit of of no pressure and kindness and compassion is part of it. The sense of of uh, purpose and staying with that is part of it. Energetically, mindfulness of breathing is very good if if you can get that going the right way, where it is an easeful, reliable thing, not a not a forced thing, because it has this suffusive effect that operates on an energetic level. Sort of it eases it up. You don't really even have to understand, or you know. Because sometimes with something like uh, metta, with loving kindness, for example, we can kind of impose that, you know, place that on top of something, which is better than putting your will on top of it. But really. What is most valuable is when that quality of kindness actually manifests by itself, just from really handling something that's sore. So, you know, because sometimes we we use kind of in the wrong way, like it's sentimental or it's just trying to be nice, something of that nature, but just to actually come to the place where it's sore. And the quality of full awareness is is a essentially you're just opening to that in an empathic, sympathetic way. It's not a blank stare, but what's the feel of that? You feel the kind of roughness or the soreness, and then actually, in it, then a response kind of occurs by itself, which is much more authentic and right on the mark. So if you get skillful in terms of attitude and energy and approach towards some of these difficult places, then these uh, redeeming uh, moods and responses begin to happen. One becomes more patient, more humble, less demanding, less... Uh, cowering, less doubtful, less whatever it is, you become less yourself, less your old personal self. I, th- no, I think this quality of, of how we we meet our difficulties on the, is 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 mo- is a very crucial piece of the of the whole process because you have to change. Yeah. To, we can't change, I want to be like this. No, no, yeah. I want to be clear or brave or strong or sweet. I want to be angelic and loving. I want to be brave and courageous. I want to be a warrior. I want to be a bodhisattva. It's kind of, you know, these kind of things which, which indeed are quite admirable in their own respects. But then you can end up kind of toughing through things from some idea of being warrior or using their energy because one can 
operate through that manner, one knows how to do that. You know, or it can be very devotional, we know how to do that. But then actually what happens is a particular piece of patterning gets endorsed. I think it's very much the, the um, you know, certainly perhaps for, in this, in this kind of life tends to um, encourage and endorse a sort of warrior archetype, you know, the resilient, tough, knock it out, force it through, get there, sort of stuff. And uh, so one, you know, which is not ignoble, but it is a bit naive. And sooner or later, you know, it sort of tends to tends to break down because it's not doesn't have enough uh, breadth or enough capacity. It's not agile enough. It's a bit clumsy. So most of these attitudes that we can bear actually even though they, they sort of have goodness in them are imposed or, or developed attitudes and really point of mindfulness is not to have any attitude and that's that's the purification of it and the point of full awareness is that you're just aware you, know, you, don't, you don't have a strategy you don't know you don't know you kind of you read the book you put aside the books you don't know you don't do it like you know Ajahn Chah Ajahn Man whatever because you you don't know (laughs) but it's not a stupid don't know it's a kind of there's a purity to that. Since to, to be at that place where we, we are not knowing, we don't have a plan or a model. And the learning has to be very fresh, and very immediate. You're kind of meeting yourself in a very open way, in which actually responses can occur that sometimes you didn't know you had. I remember kind of meeting a particular um, just pain in my in, in my back that I had for about eight years. Uh, I always tried to kind of find a way to not experience that or wriggle out of it or do something or, or the other. And then just kind of meeting the energy of that. Uh, I could, you know, rather than how to deal with it, how to bear with it or overcome it, or how to, there's a sort of sense of, strangely enough, something like a kind of forgiveness. And I, no, I have no real idea what was going on, why that should happen. But something of that nature occurred, something that reminded me of that quality, just really forgiving don't know what or who or why, but just that particular energy that comes with a word like that. You know, the energy came first, then the emotion, then the word. So the word isn't right, but that's, that's kind of where it landed. 
Yeah. But I didn't know what I was doing. Just given up everything else. So just eventually, just well, there it is. And then this, this, that particular place, it kind of brought up this this strange response. And then the thing just shifted. Just get went away, and that was the end of that. So there's, uh, I think this is, you know, these these places of release, you know, are, are really important. And just to see, kind of, that there are uh, the thing can sort can sort itself out. This is why the whole process of of liberation is is one of you're not even getting liberated. You know, it's not as if you you get liberated. It's the liberation from that whole way of conceiving things, and yet there is there is liberation. And in that liberation, there's also um, definite, subtle forms that occur un- spontaneously, mm, such as loving kindness or firmness or whatever you know, wherever it is. You definitely feel something, and then there's a liberation or a release. Also, the liberation is not suddenly, you know, bang, everything goes, but particular pieces of the jigsaw. Of the of the fettering, you know, break up, fall away, and particular little bits at a time. So another thing is that the Buddha said it doesn't. It's rather like the way that the rigging of a beached ship, a beached galleon, rots away slowly. It's not the most fortunate <laughs> synonym. So it, they don't all go, in other words, all that, all that rigging, all that construction, all that scaffolding doesn't all disappear in one blap one day. It just it gradually fades and little bits give up and little bits give up and little bits give up. But you begin to sense, particularly over a period of time, five years, and you don't remember until maybe sometimes you, somebody tells you or you recognize where you were five years ago and you think, well, you don't do that now. That doesn't happen. That's not an issue for me. I don't remember one day getting rid of it. It just kind of, the energy just doesn't go there anymore. It's done. And there are big, there are small bits of that, and there are big bits of that. You know, some very big chunks of rigging go. You know, in in, in little bits, little threads, and then, you know, one's attitude towards sense <coughs> objects. Um, definitely does change towards um, social status definitely changes and so on mm-hmm. and essentially attitude, a lot of attitudes to one's oneself you know, changes the demands, the pressures the, the nervousness, the self-consciousness the pride and the fear that definitely Shifts and these are very significant pieces, but then when they shift, it's like, well, what's there? It's not like there's something else there. You know, it's just just as if you know you've got a piece of cloth and it's very tightly textured, it's very tightly woven, and you, as you open the threads, as you open the threads of that, then there isn't something else there. It's just there's more, there's the gap. 
you've nibbanaed it, you know, you've actually opened it up. So that the pattern on that piece of cloth can no longer actually match because the, the fibers are open, it doesn't match up anymore. So you can't, it can't keep going because there's these big gaps in it. Now that's the difference, you see, because with the, if you're just on a level of calming, then what you do is you get finer and finer mesh. So, you know, like gross level, and quite, the mesh is pretty big and big in a way, so that most, you know, an average person can probably begin to see through that. You get through that net. You can get out of that net. But then there's the finer net, which is the, the subtle weave of, of um, meditation, you know, of the subtle energies of meditation. That catches most people. A few people can get through that, you know, they, they, get, they get thin enough or fine enough to actually get through that particular weave. You get the very, very fine weave of formless states. Mm. It doesn't, and the mind can't get any finer than that. It can't get any thinner than that. It can't get through that. Because all we're doing really is just refining the weave. But it's through the dispassion towards things being woven together that things really open up. And this is, so always in the Buddha talks of these processes, you know, he talks of these incredible samadhi states. Says, well, this is the best place to cling to. If you want to cling, get into the really fine net. Don't bother with this gross, clunky stuff. Um, but then, but this is nibbana is something else. It's the it's the recognition of well, this is just that. All this is just that. All this is just more weave, more patterning. It's just that. Hmm. That's the wording that goes with it. As you realise. <laughs> You know, the wordings themselves, the end product, the realization occurs, you know, or the release occurs, then the realization of it, and then the wording. So the wording, you know, is, is a kind of shadow, a ripple of what's happened for that person. A sense of dispassion, of not going in there, not, not seeking it, not, not being caught in it, not building anything out of it. So this is, uh, you know, this is our model of practice, really. But you do need to get the quality of of um, calm and subtlety, because that acts first of all is the, the the sense of stability that it gives you. You know, you're stable, calm. You get a fairly consistent, reflective focus. It also brings other aspects to light. Yeah, one's energy shifts, one's energy changes. Uh, yeah, um, thought and the stopping of thought. What's there when thought stops? Um, certain, and then particular patterns of, of drive and push and wanting you know, that don't really necessarily surface as long as we keep feeding them. So if you sustain a repeated retreat, certain levels of renunciation and certain levels of consistency, then these, um, you know, certain um, ones clinging to routines and to patterns and to, to talk and to mental stimulation and so forth suddenly get seen and, oh, yeah, okay, 
Yeah, right. And you you begin to feel that as a kind of as the push that it has. You know, the the the, the push of it, and you begin to see things like the wanting to understand as another kind of fire, as another clinging, or wanting to get to somewhere, some state. You begin to experience that not just as an idea, but actually as a kind of energy that pushes. So whenever we come to sit with a feeling of, well, let's get into this particular state, you you push, put that theme on, you can be sure Suffering is about to happen. If it's not happened now, <laughs> you're just heading down the main track for that. <laughs> because you can actually feel it. Feel it right in there, the cling and the push. And it, you can feel it energetic. It's really unpleasant. Really coarse, you know. And so, you know, these pieces of strategy. But then if we think, oh, well, nothing to do, give up. That doesn't feel good either. You know, like limp, you know, no, no firmness. So this is interesting, isn't it? We're really here in a very committed way. For what? Just to be here in a, in a committed way. You know? And you feel the energy of that. Oh, that feels right. Doesn't make sense, but it feels right. You know? And that's the, that's the middle point, the middle path. And you feel these kind of waves of push and waves of drawing away. And you just keep to that middle path and align, getting alignment with that middle, middle point, that middle path, where these karmic drives actually don't catch is this, so the, the karma, the action, the wanting to be and to have, it doesn't actually catch that middle point. And so you know, if we maintain that, you know, then there's a sense of other things dropping away. That's the place of dispassion, detachment, and, and ceasing. So if you, you experience these energetically and you can actually sense what happens as an energetic you know, quality whenever any I am, I'm going to, I should be, why do I have to, I never, I won't, I will, I always, I can't, when any of those comes in. You, you know what actually you can feel what happens I can feel what happens it's a contraction so with full awareness then one come out of that contraction so the, so that sense of the subtle field is a very good field to cultivate because you, you get palpable really palpable effects in terms of release and clinging, and uh, they they also because the subtle is not that far away from a normal um, psychology. It's quite it's relatively easy to get to. 
it's also a place where you can begin to actually you know, notice your, your psychologies and translate them. See, if they're not there, then you don't necessarily get the point. But when, when they're kind of there, like there's that tendency to think, well, you better come up with something or do something, it's sort of there. But it's not there in a way that's really catching hold, it's there. What is that? Oh, it feels like this. So you, that's the way you, you undermine it, by, by feeling it and yet not, not being caught in it. Uh, so that requires that skills and the, and the access to the subtler um, domains.